This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 26th of November 2019, and here is my smart-enabled co-host, Jon. I may be smart-enabled, but I'm not eavesdropping. I drop no eaves because I don't know what an eave is. Uh, that It's the bit of the roof that overhangs the house. Why would you want to That's drop that? <laughs> I don't know. It could be quite messy, I think. Anyway, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm okay, I guess. The year is coming to an end, slowly but certainly, but the Roaring Elephant is still up and about. We're still delivering the news, hot from the presses, or something like that, Indeed. <laughs> something something similar to that. Um, talking about delivering the news, are you morally obligated to tell house guests about your smart devices, is the first news item of the day. The first thing I would like to comment on this is that it's very amazing that this is actually a question we should ask these days <laughs> i mean it, it used to be like you if you had smart devices it was like you know your tv was a smart device maybe and and you could you know play youtube on it or something like that but with the proliferation of devices that are, are now sort of listening it's not just you know thermostats it's this the alexas the the google uh, devices um Facebook has a thing too. Facebook has their yeah, uh, VoIP that's or right. Skype channel, whatever they want to call it. The Facebook portal. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and of course, Siri. But, you know, it's a bit of an also round because no one really uses Siri. Um, so, yeah, all, all of these all of these devices continuously listening. Can you see a time when the, there's actually a, a requirement? You see, like, you have to put a little... Uh, I don't know, a, a little like standard um, sign at your front door that says, just to be aware that you are being, you are being listened to. Yeah, but isn't that a bit similar, like when you have a, I don't know, a doorbell with a camera in it, which also potentially captures yeah. images there, you're not, you're not, you don't have to do that. The difference here, of course, is that that camera is usually pointing outwards. Uh, towards the public street, while inside yep. the house you could assume some privacy guarantees are in place. I don't know, but on the other hand, will it become the point that, well, everybody has these things anywhere, so just prepare yourself that whatever you say, do, gets recorded and repeated and replayed on Facebook afterwards anyway? <laughs> well, there's, there was a similar... Um, you mentioned... Um smart doorbells and there's a similar thing i mean i have my own um smart security cameras which do um limited sort of facial recognition and things like that and that's actually got me thinking there are a number of cities now that have certainly u.s cities at least i think there's four now that have um, said they are no longer or they've banned all facial recognition but Hmm. there's still plenty of consumer devices that do facial recognition. So every phone uh, in the world almost. To <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you, I understand, I believe that uh, when when you you have pictures taken and uploaded to Facebook, you tag people in them and they the tags are the automatic and you can approve the, you can approve them. So I mean should so should that not work in those cities that have banned it or is it just the the, they've banned it for um, sort of for governmental purposes. Mm. So you know, and individuals oh. can use it, but 
but the city can't? Yeah, but also, did they Is ban it live? So when the image is taken, they don't do it immediately, but it does get stored somewhere. And, well, sometimes someone needs to do an investigation about something. And will they still have a ban then, or will they then allow it? Because I can imagine, I mean, uh, I think it was the Ring doorbell that actually has a, co- a cooperation with the police. Uh, and it's a bit on a download, but it had some noise a couple of a month ago or something, uh, where you can actually, as a Ring owner, um, get be part of a group of the environment of the of the neighborhood where all of the Ring doorbells watch, yeah. Yeah, neighborhood watch gets automatically made available to the police force in that neighborhood. So even though they don't do facial recognition immediately, well, when something happens, they can tag, tap into those archives to get uh, information after the fact. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're getting a bit broader here. This is specifically about house guests. So I'm talking about people <laughs> inside my house. <laughs> and it's actually yeah, a problem. As, it, I, it is, but uh, as you as you said, there's, a, there's certainly a... There's an expectation that when you're out and about, you are in the public eye you're you know you are in public therefore anything you say or do could potentially be recorded but once you you enter the confines of you know your house or someone else's house there's, there's an expectation of as you say a certain level of privacy and there's but, a, you can also turn it around right you can actually annoy people i mean i just come to your house hi dave alexa how is your life today <laughs> But a lot of these devices do have um, a certain, like, they will have certain voice prints that they will accept and, and, you know, anyone else can participate if something is going on. So, you know, if a quiz... I've actually, I follow a couple of YouTubers, I just watch them, and quite often when they talk about these smart home devices, they refrain from saying the name uh, Google or Alexa for fear that me playing the video is going to uh, activate my whole smart home device, which I don't have, by the way. And so <laughs> I don't think it's actually trained that much as in voice recognition, but uh, it just... And also there's been evidence in the past that even without the voice being... Uh, the, or the phrase being pronounced, they still record some stuff to be able to of improve the detection of that uh, the particular voice uh, phrase thing. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's that's you know they, they need to record it to know that they're listening to know when they need to activate. That's yep. just the way this shit works. <laughs> and that's why a while ago there was a, a hardware project from GitHub somewhere that kind of made a, a how do you, I mean if you're looking at a picture you can describe it for me. But it kind of makes a little covering that you put on top of your Alexa or your uh, Google device. And mm. it actually emits white noise towards the speaker. So the smart speaker only gets white noise. And whatever you say in the room gets uh, yeah, white noiseified. So it's no longer identifiable or recordable. And then you can actually give it your own phrase for that little patch you put on top of the device to make it stop doing white noise and feed the uh, whatever audio is happening through to the uh, to the to the smart speaker and yeah it's something you can make yourself it this has a whole github uh, description of the software and the hardware components to it it's it's amazing that these things actually have a reason to be yeah but i mean there's there's a set of devices um, and there's an open source project as well now called Bycroft. And Mycroft was, um, I think it's been around for a while now. I think it's in its second major kind of iteration. Um, 
was designed to be a um, an assistant that could actually work offline. It's also open source as well, so like you can see uh, what it's doing, how it's doing it, and all that sort of thing. Which I always thought was a really interesting, um, really interesting bridge where you know you get to control. Uh, how much you want it to be able to to do, how much you want it to be able to you know talk to the internet, what you want it to be able to talk to the internet about, that sort of thing. Which you know obviously it doesn't have the the downside is it doesn't have quite the uh, as impressive an ecosystem as the uh, many of these other solutions. But I still think it's a it's an interesting idea that open source could potentially come up with a, a kind of a nice way to bridge this this gap. Yeah, as you said, the problem I think is the the form factor. Because if I look at the website here, it's uh, Raspberry Pi driven, which is fine if you have Raspberry Pis. I've got a couple, but a lot of the, I mean, the big reason why the Alexas and the Googles are in your home is because they're cute, they're easy to use. You install them; it's all hands off. It just does its thing, and they're coupled to an extensive ecosystem of stuff. I mean, the main reason Alexa ever got invented, I think, is to make it easier to buy stuff off Amazon. Yeah, no, very much so. But then the, the Mycroft actually there is a hardware device. So the old one looked a bit like a like um, Johnny Five's head severed. Uh, <laughs> the new one looks more like a, a smartphone, oh, yes, with, a know. smart speaker with a with a phone embedded in the side of it. But yeah, no, no, I I, I do completely get your get your point. I do like the Mark One there. <laughs> yeah, as I say, <laughs> severed Johnny Five head. But, uh, Ish. It's more of a squashed <laughs> Eevee from uh, Wally. Yeah, yeah, that that could also work. So anyway, yeah, coming soon to you, sort of the equivalent of bumper stickers that you put on on your front door that you can tell people that uh, Google, Amazon, Siri, and everybody else is listening. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no going back. I think these things are here; they're here to stay, and it's not going to change anymore. I think anybody holding out hope for that is not going to have his wish fulfilled. Although, do you have one of these things? I do not. Um, Why do you miss it? Well, see, I say I do not, but then I I hesitate slightly because, of course, I've got an Android device, therefore I've got Android Assistant, so I can say um, the phrase. (laughs) It is enabled because I use it to switch on and off lights and things. Oh, okay. Well, I've disabled mine because I only use it for uh, GPS navigation and it didn't work very well for that, so I had no use for it whatsoever. I Uh, I, I must admit, I do use it for that as well. I I, I use it especially in the car. Um, Yeah, that's also the the one thing I thought might be useful because it needs to be hands-free. Obviously, in this part of the world, if you do, there's something on your phone you can find. But it just didn't... I mean, as long as you're in the app, it works. But if then somebody calls me, the app for the for the telephone call pops up. The Google GPS thing goes in the background. You have a little map visual still, but it's gone in the background. And you can't get it back again with a voice command. You need to tap it anyway. So yeah, what what good is uh, the voice thing then? Well, you see the if you if you're fully embedded in the Android Auto um <laughs> sort of world of things, then actually that works a bit better. Anyway, we're going get, way, get way, <laughs> way, way off topic here. Um so let's talk about although it's kind of seamlessly related really iot (laughs) (laughs) smart devices and iot how does that work exactly exactly yep iot we've got an article on the data flock website here about red hat who has made a report about iot outsourcing trends and apparently they're accelerating in 2019 
article isn't wait isn't very long, but it's uh, interesting enough to talk about. I think just the idea of outsourcing your IoT stuff. Now, IoT has been a bit of a darling of the tech industry in the last uh, can I say a decade at least the last five years. But yeah. that much IoT, on the one hand, it's everywhere. On the other hand, it's nowhere. It's a very dual view for me. I mean, I, I understand that a lot of manufacturing, for instance, there's a lot of robots in those things and have all telemetry data coming in, which is a kind of IoT. But when people think of IoT, they're thinking of different ways of IoT working together, devices working together. I mean, I have Philips Hue lamps in my house, which is a kind of IoT, mm-hmm. but it's very... Yeah, localized. It's not, you can't access from the outside or anything like that. So that's not exactly the dream that was uh, proposed before. But according to this report, there is a lot of uh, business interest in the whole IT sphere still, which doesn't surprise me. People see dollar signs everywhere, I guess. And apparently outsourcing will make all of this stuff happen faster. What do you think? Well, I mean, it, it it does make a lot of sense in the a lot of organizations that are interested in IoT would have you know no real ability to deliver on um on the technology required for an IoT strategy in many cases so the 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 obvious examples for me that that jump into my mind are um insurance companies both um health insurance and car insurance you know, health insurance companies are interested in, you know, fitness um, uh, devices and information about the, you know, the activity of their um, insurees. Is that even a word? Um, their policyholders. Yeah, customers maybe. <laughs> That's an easier way of putting it. Um, and, you know, obviously for, <laughs> maybe that too, but for... Um, Car insurance providers, there have been a variety of uh, different sort of black boxes mm-hmm. that uh, car insurance companies have been able to provide drivers that are, uh, are prepared to have a device plugged into their car all the time um, and do a similar sort of thing. You know, it's gone from um, black boxes that get sort of wired into your into your car's uh, uh, systems through to you know, just dongles that plug into the ODB2 port yep. on uh, most recent cars. And it, it's it, it's kind of painfully obvious that, you know, an insurance company is not going to, is not a hard, it's not a technology hardware business. It's not mm-hmm. a, it, you know, some of them do have, maybe software is not quite the, the way to put it, but obviously um they do have analytics teams and things like that and you know there's certainly a, a good chunk of data science that goes on in in many of them but the actual iot infrastructure in a lot of cases is outsourced which d- does put things in a slightly awkward position you know if a lot of these companies are using iot as a as a differentiator as an accelerator well if they're all outsourcing to the same party or you know the same subset of parties then how how do you how do you make that a differentiator if you've all if you've all got the same data potentially 
Uh, I guess the analytics part of it would make the dif- differentiators. I mean, uh, when I was at Hortonworks, this was one of the biggest things we talked about when I was in IoT is, okay, how do you get that value out of the data uh, buzzword bingo achieved? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically how your data scientists are able to get the value out of that data. Yeah, there's no way of saying it, basically. That that can give you differentiation because there's one way of just looking at the telemetry coming from those data, from those black boxes and deciding, okay, you uh, speeded, you didn't speed, uh, you had a, par- a parking tickets won't get in there but you can Mm -hmm. just look at the rules and say if you did good or bad or you can look at the context around it why did you good and bad and the context around it could be yes you were uh, speeding but uh, the police was just passing by and forcing you out of the way with their sirens and flashing lights so you had to quickly move out of the way so you sped a bit so context could actually make it more interesting and differentiate between you a black and white and a more of a gray area so customers become more of a I don't know, uh, less insulted when they get uh, this, you, you're a bad person and more happy. So yeah, on that part, even without having the hardware under, under, your, own per, uh, under your own control, hardware, mm-hmm. I mean, IoT devices typically are very small. As you said, it's a dongle you click in somewhere that then creates very, uh, I was going to say anonymous, but I, I would say meaningless data, which have to be given meaning in some way or fashion. And there should be a lot of differentiation yeah. going on there. I mean, and also one thing which I'm still waiting for is the working together of different IoT platforms. And I'm not talking about uh, Bisbee and other kinds of technologies behind it, but this mm-hmm. car thing, this car insurance thing is a very well-known one. It's, it's, I think it's one of the only ones that's actually gone through from business to consumers with a side active, side action being driving down your insurance premium. All other time kind of things like you know, the doorbells we talked about earlier with, with cameras on there, uh, the hue lights I have here, which are gimmicks, basically. There's not really uh, a <laughs> use case. Of it. it's, it's a fun thing to have, but apart from that, there's no real thing going on there. The car industry, yep, that's a good one because then you have the car manufacturers, the dongles, and the insurance working together to give a third-party media consumer a cheaper insurance um, premium. But I haven't seen any mm. other kind of working togetherness between a hardware manufacturer, a services uh, deliverer, and a consumer give that same kind of, I don't know, improved life through synergy of the above. <laughs> I'm still putting synergy. my buzzer finger card in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I mean, it's a lot been talked about IoT, and it's a lot possible, and everything can be measured, and everything probably is measured in some way, fashion. But where is the result of it? Where do, do I, Mr. Consumer see any advantage for myself yeah no no that's it's a fair comment i i can't i can't actually think i'm sure there are there are plenty of niche ones but i can't think of any other major um sort of iot use case beyond i mean the, the smart lighting is is probably is, is, there's a fairly sizable degree of penetration on it. Um, yeah, but all smart heating systems violence. kind of a little bit. Um, but it it really does seem to be that in you know in terms of that the business, the analytics, and and sort of delivering value. I think you're right. Actually, I think the car insurance one is probably unique, the maturest one. Yeah. By quite some margin. Because quite often what we call IoT is simply a nice word for remote control. 
because if you look at the remote, the lighting solutions, uh, the thermostat yeah. stuff, it's basically just a way of controlling something remotely from your smartphone when you're not at home. Yeah. And of course, uh, there's of course the energy companies who will do IoT information from smart meters and see if they can do the yep. grid. But I don't get any benefits from there. Basically, they get all the benefit, and I have to be happy that they steal my data. Um, but yeah, <laughs> apart from that, there's not that much around there. There's not much uh, much out there. I just had something else yeah. in my head when we were talking here, but uh, nope, dropped off. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe Fair finish enough. off this article. At the bottom, they have the four reasons they say why you should outsource your IoT. Of course, we we're talking about outsourcing this stuff and just quickly going over those lower expenses. Yes, outsourcing is quite often driven because a desire to lower expenses. In your experience, does outsourcing ever lead to lower expenses in the end? I have never seen it actually work out that way. I mean, it, it, it might work out that way for certain departments, for certain teams, you know, hold. for certain budget swapping. But yeah. as a as a rule, overall, no. But hopefully you do get more for the same money. That's... And the second one is access maybe. to... Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> second one is access to talent, which is a double-edged source. Yes, on the one hand, as you said before, you can't expect the insurance guys to build a dongle that plugs into a car. So access to talent is good. But as you also said, yeah, what's the differentiation there? Where do you get a value? Where do you get a specific thing that you can do, nobody else can do? So you also kind of lose talent by outsourcing it, which is definitely yeah. a big data, big technology things. A big problem today that people are trying to get back. I mean, a lot of my customers I talk to actually go away from getting black boxes and towards more uh, made-to-measure or in-house build stuff because they want to mm. know again what yeah. they are doing so they can get more influence, more more, in, more information, yeah. more, 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 I don't know, tactile feel. I don't know how to say this, but get back into it and not have it uh, done by somebody else and it's going to be okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, don't see that one as a good reason either. Now, the other one, global, yep, outsourcing partners have global reach. If you're a local thing, I mean, if you're a car manufacturer, still, you are global already, so that wouldn't be valid for them. But I could assume yep. if you're just starting up the startup, having a global partner that can just deliver whatever device you have globally without you having to do all this, that's a logistical nightmare. Yep, I can see that working. But, yeah, as I say, that's a logistical nightmare. So you can just partner with, uh, I don't know, post office. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, possibly. It's a, it's a kind of outsourcing that works. Yeah. And the last one, I, I kind of chuckled a bit. Up to date, if the worst work is outsourced, it'll always be the latest in techno technological advances. Uh, not sure who this author has been sleeping with, but <laughs> I, I yeah. don't see that as a one-to-one -one match here. Quite no, often. I mean, it, like a lot of partners, like if you luck on a great one, then well done, congratulations. But... Yeah, but you'll always be a victim of the masses there because outsourcing means that, yes, it, the, the thing about being cheaper is because that outsourced partner can do the same thing for multiple customers. So it'll mm -hmm. be cheaper to do. But if it does for multiple customers, then what you want is only one voice in the crowd. And if you're a big player, you'll have a big voice. And if you're a small player, you have a small voice. So if you're doing mm -hmm. this through outsourcing, getting the thing that you really want to make the differentiation in that product, uh, good luck to it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, IoT is still a dream. It's been a bit, a bit quiet, I must say. Um, there's been a lot of IoT washing going on in the past, but the last, the last year or so, IoT hasn't been that much on my radar. But that's maybe because I've uh, moved a bit vertically into horizontally into the into the, the workspace. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. 
Anything else on IoT? Uh, no, just I want more of it. Fair enough. In that case, let us deploy America's newest military giant. And it's not who this article thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So are you really are you really just uh, trolling technologyreview.com or? Uh, well, no, I had one of theirs last week, as uh, last uh, two weeks ago, I should say, as well. And that was a positive one, I think, I remember. <laughs> think <laughs> uh no i'm not trolling them but it is uh it caught my eye because by coincidence this article actually is a bit older this is from the beginning of october and mm-hmm. at the end of october the uh, this is about the jedi contract jedi being the pentagon yeah. in the us that wants to be do a 10 billion cloud computing deal and it was going to go to one cloud provider it's been a lot of hoopla in the media about is this fair or going to one uh cloud provider or not and this article tried to be complete and warning about how Amazon, who was bound to get this Jedi contract, would become the America's newest military giant. And well, on the whole of it, I can understand this. I mean, if you get this kind of influence onto a major world power's military, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's something to to worry about, perhaps. But the fun thing is that at the end of October, as people by now all know. Amazon actually didn't get it. Microsoft got it. It was a bit of a okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, the the, the Jedi uh, cool contract. Name, uh, true, but the actual the whole process has been going on for so long now. It it does make me wonder, like, almost how relevant is the contract or how relevant is everything that was in the contract now compared to when it was actually put up for tender in the first place so you know one example of this is the the discussion that we had with uh, the the folks from the cloud pod podcast uh, a few episodes ago around actually you know doing everything with a single cloud provider isn't necessarily the the right way to go anymore you know just pick your pick your cloud provider with um, based on the use case was one of the pieces of information that uh, that those guys were suggesting um, and you know this is like 10 years locked in with one cloud provider mm-hmm. um, with a capped 10 billion dollar spend so I mean it's still a lot of money but uh, I don't know it just feels like a little bit of a, a, a sort of a deal that would have made a lot set lot of sense you know three years ago maybe or three or four years ago maybe but does it does it really make as much sense now? Yeah, I mean, does a ten year contract still make sense now? If you look at how this yeah. things evolves, uh, this is the first problem for me. Now, the second problem about the thing you're talking about is basically also why Oracle and IBM filed lawsuits against this whole Jedi contract to uh, because they said, yeah, you shouldn't do this in one cloud provider because that would be a, a I'll call it a vendor lock in. That's basically what you're talking about at that point. You mm-hmm. you, you tied uh, hands and feet to, to the one cloud provider at that point. I mean, it's also a government contract. And, and I mean, not more generically, RFPs, requests for proposals and requests for information, the whole the bane of my existence, to be honest. <laughs> I, <laughs> whenever I, I mean, if you're working in an open source environments where things are so fluid and dynamic all the time, whenever I see an RFP, my first reaction is, I don't think they understand this yet. Because either the RFP is, and this was basically an RFP, was it's either so vague that you can't really get any value from it. Or it's so precise that you don't allow for any kind of flexibility anymore in the future anyway. 
Now, if it's an RFP for hardware, okay, you can do stuff because that's a, a moment in time. But when you go to services, to things that are long running, ah, this is just not the way to go anymore. And the whole idea about cloud computing, specifically public cloud computing, is the pay-as-you-go model. You need something today, yeah. you do something today. So that the Pentagon puts aside a $10 billion budget for cloudy stuff. That's fine, mm -hmm. I guess. I mean, still a lot of money and I, I wouldn't mind having a percentage. <laughs> but um, yeah, to, have, to actually connect this up to one provider, it's definitely potentially a problem. Now, that being said, I also wouldn't be surprised if this contract has a lot of uh, clauses in there that if provider, selected provider can't provide whatever needs to be provided, then we can go elsewhere as well. I, I would assume, yeah. I would hope that this is not a you must, but you should or explain why you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in those pictures, then it's more of a let's try to standardize as much as possible. I mean, we've had a talk before with, with people about standardization does make sense. You don't want to have to maintain 20, 30, 40 different technologies, everybody doing his own invented wheel. Try and standardize a little bit. Yeah, that should get some benefits, both in costs and accelerated of innovation because you don't have to reinvent that wheel again and again and again. Yep. But it shouldn't be a straitjacket. It should be a choice. Yeah, yeah. And the one positive so, thing I see from this is that uh, Microsoft does get some big money here to add their Azure environment to, to grow that Azure environment. So, I mean, at the moment, Amazon is maybe not totally unfairly uh, set to be have a monopoly on uh, public cloud. This will, I guess, help to even the score because, again, a duopoly or more than two is always good because competition breeds innovation, right? Absolutely. And that fulfills Absolutely. my puzzle bingo card completely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anything else from you? Uh, nope. If it's okay with you, we're trying to make these uh, bite-sized, and I think we will succeed maybe again this week. Nothing else from you either? Nothing else from me. Then that's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast. You can become a Patreon. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. Live, subscribe, ring the notification bell. All the YouTube stuff. Make Dave happy. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to a Patreon page, more information on podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter using the Lucas tag, and you can send any feedback you have to our podcast at roaringelephant.org mailing address. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. I look forward to talking to you and recording you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.